Our reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 to 16. This bit is entitled, Living Sacrifices. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather... Think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, Let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. This is the word of God. Well, Romans 12, verse 3 to 16. The success of the um, Olympic Games so far has been due, I think, not just to the, the gold medals that uh, the GB have won, although it's great to see that, um, but it's also been due to the involvement of the British public, that uh, millions of people would line the streets up and down the country to, to watch what is effectively a large Bunsen burner being carried around behind a Coca-Cola van, that millions of people would apply for tickets and apply again and apply again, that 80,000 people would go and watch Senegal against Mexico, including the walkers at Wembley last night, that thousands of volunteers would wear big hands and point you in the direction of where you should go in the Olympic Park, 
But in many ways, the, Olympic, um, the Olympics has been an exception in the growing tendency for charities and other organisations to find it more and more difficult to get people involved in running them as people have become more self-focused and individualistic, the willingness to serve voluntarily has declined, unless, of course, there is something in it for people or possibly for their children. We have a number of um, one-off sermons over the summer, and this morning we're looking at the theme of involvement. Involvement of Christians in the, the life of society, in the church, is important. But in what way is it different to the involvement of the public in the Olympics or the involvement of volunteers in other organisations. Well, it's to do with the relationship that we have with the one whom we're serving and consequently the relationship we enjoy with others with whom we have something very special in common and with whom we're serving jointly. Paul has spent the first 11 chapters of this letter to the church in Rome teaching us the gospel of Christ. He's teaching us that we're all sinners, that God is holy and just, and that we're therefore under his wrath and condemnation, but that God in his great mercy has sent his son Jesus Christ, whose perfect obedience, whose death in our place makes it possible for God to justify, to to make righteous all who trust in Christ. The result being that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And on the basis of that great work of salvation, for all who believe in Christ, Paul now begins to build his application for life in chapter 12. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. In other words, the Christian life is built on the mercy of God. We are not trying to earn the favour of God. Instead, we're able to live a merciful life because of the mercy that he has shown towards us. And so chapter 12 begins to describe this life and calls us to live it out. And first, uh, Paul deals with our whole life as worship toward God. Then in in verses 3 to 16, um, which is the passage we'll be concentrating on this morning, he deals with our relationships with each other in the church. After that, he deals with our relationships with our enemies, um, with governing authorities, etc. Because once we have experienced God's mercy, it affects all of our relationships. The theme we're focusing on this morning in the context of relationships with each other in the church is involvement. And there are three points that come out of this passage about involvement. Involvement is to accept we belong to one another. Involvement is to use our gifts to serve one another. And involvement is to feel affection for one another. Let's start with the first point. Involvement is to accept we belong to one another. To belong to a group of people is to have strong relationships with those people. That is part of what it means to be human because God made us as beings who relate to, to others. And our need to belong can be seen in being a part of a group of friends, um, being part of a, a club, being part of a nation, as we've seen in the last few days, the winning athletes, national anthem being played, and that sense of pride in what they've achieved for their nation, the whole nation getting behind this one of theirs, the one who belongs to them. But interestingly, at the same time as this need to belong, we also have a desire to be independent, 
to rule our own lives, to make our own choices. And that is the influence of sin on our lives. That we will do what we want to do. I'm happy to belong to a group as long as it doesn't affect my my happiness, my well-being, as long as I can decide the terms of my commitment to that group. And if it's not giving me what I need, then I can decide, well, to, to leave it and go and join a different group. To belong to God's people is a different belonging because it involves a wholehearted commitment to, to other people. Have a look at verse 4, which is uh, what uh, Grant was um, looking at earlier on. Chapter 12 of Romans, verse 4. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Now, the image of the body emphasises the importance of each member playing its part. We know what it's like, isn't it, when our body doesn't work, whether it's our back, whether it's our our eyes, our our ears, our heart, our lungs, whatever part of it is, it has an effect on the rest of the body. But when each part of the body is functioning well, it has a positive impact on every other member. And the reason why we should be involved, the reason why we should belong to each other, is that little phrase there in verse 5, in Christ, in Christ, we who are many form one body and each body member belongs to all the others. To be in Christ means to know God as our Father, to be adopted into his family and all other Christians are therefore brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't choose them, but God has chosen them and he expects us to relate to them. It's like when we marry, we we become part of a new family. We have new brothers and sisters-in-law, parents-in-law, nephews and nieces. We can't say to our our wife or husband, well, I want to marry you, but I don't really want anything to do with your family, even though that's how we might feel. (laughs) But not only do we share that relationship in Christ with our brothers and sisters here in the church family, we share all his blessings in Christ. Because if we are in Christ, then everything that Christ is and has belongs to us. And that is an amazing privilege, isn't it? So in Ephesians 1, we are told we have every spiritual blessing in heaven in Christ. And we share these as one body. We are loved by God together. We are rescued from sin together. We are forgiven together. We are justified together. We are transformed together. And the fact that you share spiritual blessings with your brothers and sisters in Christ means you have a relationship that is far more profound than any other human relationship. It's a relationship that costs God the life of his son and it's a relationship that therefore should never be taken for granted. So how do we express our our belonging to each other in Christ in the context of the local church? Well, we do it publicly by declaring our commitment to each other, by promising before God and before the congregation to love and serve each other. That is what becoming a member of the church is all about. Something that everybody who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour is encouraged to do. And nowhere in the Bible are there instances of people who have claimed to be Christians, to follow Christ, and said, 
Well, actually, my faith is, is a personal thing for me. I don't need to be part of a church. I don't need to be part of a, a group of people who believe in Jesus Christ as well. I don't need to worship with others. To not get involved in the people of God is to say, I don't need them. But you do need them, and they need you. We all need each other. Involvement is to accept we belong to one another and to want to belong to one another. Involvement is also to use our gifts to serve one another. Having stressed the importance of the one body, how we belong to each other, it's interesting that in verse 5, Paul, or verse 6, Paul goes on to stress our differences, our individuality. It says that we have different gifts according to the grace given us. We are each unique. God has made us different. But what he's saying here is that it is only when we use our different gifts for the benefit of the rest that we appreciate our uniqueness. It's only when we are serving others and being served by others that we understand ourselves because our our uniqueness, our individuality is best expressed in relation to, to others. If we are given a gift that is meant to be used for the benefit of others and we don't use it, then we're not living up to the potential that God has given us. For example, if you've been given a gift of teaching, but you're not using it because maybe you don't know that you've got that gift, maybe um, you're too busy wanting to be taught yourself that you haven't got time to teach, Um, maybe you're just lazy, you'll never know how other people could benefit from the gifting and experience and knowledge that you can bring them. When Liz and I um, arrived um, in Brazil several years ago now, we had spent the previous six years before that in churches where we'd received excellent teaching and training. And the first criteria we looked for as we looked for a church was a church where we could continue to receive good teaching, which is an excellent thing to look for in a, in a church. And yet we ended up in a church which, to be honest, didn't really have the best teaching. But God was saying to us, look, you've received for long enough, Now I want you to give, to get involved in teaching. You may not feel you know enough, but I want to use you now as you are, with all your gaps, with all your inadequacies, depending on the grace that I give you. And so we we got stuck in and and learnt ourselves a lot more as we did so. Teaching is just one gift, but there's a lot of other gifts listed in this passage. Just sort of look briefly at uh, those gifts in verse 6 to 8 of um, chapter 12. First of those is prophesying. Now, we haven't got time this morning to go into a a detailed examination of whether the gift of prophecy is still valid in the church today, but I personally think it is the gift of discerning what God is saying to individuals, to this church, for their good. But one, of course, which needs to be tested against God's revealed will in his word. Prophesying, there's serving. There are many ways in which we can serve. It's not just helping out in practical ways, as deacons do, as described in Acts 6. As a church, we are good at serving. We have lots of volunteers who give up their time to serve the Lord. There is room for everyone in this church to serve. Because serving is not just about filling gaps in rotors. Serving is about identifying the gifts that God has given you and putting them to use in the church. Teaching, we've talked about already. Encouraging. 
um, Grant mentioned that earlier, a very important gift at a time when society is uh, quite cynical, when there's a lot of criticism about, no matter how good something is done, there'll be those who'll criticise it. I thought the opening ceremony of the Olympics Games was brilliant. I thought most other people would as well. Yet you'll find people who will complain about something or other. And sadly, the same goes for the church. Encouraging doesn't just mean, you know, giving empty platitudes to, to people to boost their self-esteem. It's about building each other up in the Lord, boosting each other's confidence in Christ Jesus. Let's be an encouraging church. Contributing to the needs of others. The needs of others will vary. They may be physical, they may be spiritual, emotional. And we can contribute to those needs in many different ways. Sometimes through meeting those physical needs. Sometimes helping out with specific tasks. Other times through spiritual encouragement and and prayer. Contributing to the needs of others. Leadership. We're blessed with some great leaders in this church at all levels. People who give up their time to, to serve the Lord. Not just elders or deacons, but but home group leaders, youth and children's leaders, leaders of various other ministries in the church. Leadership is not easy. You have to take decisions. You have to open yourself up to criticism. And for that reason, a lot of people would prefer not to assume leadership responsibility. Not everybody has the gift of leadership. But those who do are called to exercise it diligently. And those who do not are called to respect those in leadership. I'm not just talking about being elders or deacons here. There are many different ways to lead in the church. That's one reason why we did a leadership training course recently, to encourage leadership at every level. People having the confidence and the ability to take on an area of ministry. And finally, the the final gift mentioned here is showing mercy, by which is meant caring for those who are in need or distress. The Bible often mentions uh, the needs of outsiders, aliens it calls them, orphans, widows. In our society today it might be the homeless, might be those confined to their homes, maybe the handicapped, maybe the sick. But since our God is a merciful God, we too should show mercy. And not do it begrudgingly, but as it says here, do it cheerfully. And not just to those in the church, but those also outside the church. Each of us will have one or more of these gifts. They're not ranked. The important thing is not which gift I have, but whether or not we are exercising it. As it says here, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. Identify your gift and use it. If you're wondering this morning, what is your gift? If you feel God telling you this morning that actually I would like to get involved in a certain area, then me or one of the other elders would love to to hear from you and speak speak it over with you. Involvement is to use our gifts to serve one another. And finally, involvement is to feel affection for one another. So far we've looked at belonging to one another, using our gifts, for the benefit of others, but it is possible to, to serve one another without really having any affection for one another. And that is not what God wants to see. 
Which is why verse 9 here starts with the words, love must be sincere. Why verse 10 says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We can belong to a church. We can be members of a church. We can serve in a church. We can use our gifts for others without really being devoted to one another. Well, how might that be the case? Well, at the root of this word devoted is an affection that one has for one's close family. Think of what you would do for them if they were ill. Think how you would stand by them if they got into trouble. Think how you would defend them if somebody spoke badly about them. Think how you would never speak unfairly of them yourself. Think how often you would pray for them. Think how often you rejoice with them as they rejoice or mourn with them as they mourn. God is saying here that feeling of deep affection you have for your close family members is what I want you to have for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And what he's getting at here is a sincerity of affection. We're meant to feel affection for each other. It's what Peter refers to when he writes in the 1 Peter 1. He says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Now you may say, well, how can I change how I feel? If I don't feel that depth of affection towards a brother or sister, then surely there's not really much I can do about that. Well, that's a very postmodernist way of thinking. It is saying that my feelings are king. If I feel it, it, it must be right. If I don't feel it, then it's wrong. There's nothing I can do about it. But our feelings are just as much affected by sin as our actions. That is why God commands us how we should feel. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. That is how you should be feeling, he's saying. God can equally tell us what we should be doing, practice hospitality, as what we should be feeling, brotherly love, devotion. And as we get to the root of this, what we're trying to understand is that neither the actions that God commands us to do nor the emotions that he commands us to feel can we do in our own strength. In both of them, we rely on the transforming power of the Spirit. He's the one who's working in us to change what we do and how we do it and how we feel about it. And that is why it says in verse 11, never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. To have spiritual fervour is to continue to seek the Spirit's transforming power in our lives. Our love for others is not something we, we either have or we don't. It's something that grows as the Spirit works in us. You may not feel a depth of affection for others in the church right now. That doesn't mean you never will. Allow God to work in you gradually and to increase that love. But if we think of some of the reasons why we may not feel that deep affection for our brothers and sisters, what are the most common ones? I think one of them is that they've hurt us. They've done something to us. They've said something about us that has upset us. And as humans, we are terrible about holding on to past grievances. 
as though somehow they justify the way we feel. It's like we don't want to get rid of those feelings. The reason Jesus said to his disciples to forgive others, not seven times, but 77 times, was because each time that feeling comes back of grievance, we need to forgive again and again and again. That is why we pray, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. They've hurt us. Secondly, they irritate us. They they just irritate us by the way they are, the things they say. But we are so arrogant, we're so judgmental, that we see the mistakes and the failings of others, but we are blind to our own. Don't forget those four words at the beginning of chapter 12. Sorry, five words. In view of God's mercy... God has been merciful to us when we didn't deserve it. Let's be merciful to others. We'll come back to humility next week when we look at the subject of of attitude. Thirdly, we don't know them. We just don't know them. So how can we feel deep affection for them? We don't know their lives and anything going, they're going through, anything about them. The response to that is quite easy, isn't it? Get to know them. Stay behind for coffee. Don't rush off afterwards. I know it is an easy thing to do, particularly if you're a, a newcomer here, a visitor. It's quite daunting, isn't it, to go through uh, if you're on your own and get a coffee and somebody come up to you and ask all, all sorts of things about you. They're not trying to interrogate you. They're, they're showing a love and concern for you. They want to get to know you. Um, do make the effort to get to know others. Make the effort to get to know others, to ask them questions, find out what's going on in their lives so you can pray for them in this week ahead. You might not know much about your brothers and sisters yet, but you share the most important thing. You have the same Heavenly Father. You'll both live forever with him in eternity. And finally, there's just too many of them. There's just too many of them. There's a limit to the number of lives that I can get deeply involved with. And yes, to a certain level, that is true. And that is why we have home groups. But also, I think if we were less concerned with our own lives, we would probably free up a lot of emotional energy for the lives of others. Well, as we, as we finish, just to recap, involvement in the church is a unique thing because of the unique relationship that we have with one, with one another in Jesus Christ. Involvement is to accept we belong to one another, It's to use our gifts to serve one another. It is to feel affection for one another. It's a command to do, but we can only do it with the strength of the Lord working in us. Let's pray that he would enable us to to do each of those things, to, to accept that we belong to each other, to use our gifts to serve, and to feel affection for one another. So finish with these words from, from 1 Peter. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. We're just going to have a moment of quiet now to um, reflect on what has been said, to hear what God is saying to each one of us individually.